This is God's word. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So, let no one boast in men. All, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. As far in God's word. The topic is godly wisdom in these first three chapters, and it continues into our passage tonight. The issue of wisdom in Corinth was being addressed by Paul in this letter. And the problem was that the believers in the church in Corinth were mixing up wisdom and foolishness. They had them backwards. Um, Paul began this paragraph with a statement, let no one deceive himself. It was a command that no one ought to allow himself to be deceived. Who did Paul have in mind here? Was it just nobody in particular? No. Paul had certain persons in mind. It was any one teacher. It was any one teacher who, like in verse 10, were building on the foundation that Paul laid. Let not any one teacher, let not any one disciple, let not any one counselor deceive himself. Let no one fool himself. The, the verb here is referred to a complete deception, a thorough delusion. It was a seduction in the sense of being intellectually drawn into an entire false realm of thinking, to be sucked in, we might say. Don't do this to yourself. Paul is pleading with and commanding them. Let a person not deceive himself about what? (laughs) Well, the topic here is godly wisdom. And godly wisdom as it pertains to the church. So again, it's not just the danger of having some stray, mistaken thoughts here and there, but rather a person who would deceive himself would be the person putting himself into danger through self-inflicted blindness with regard to the church, what one believes about the church, wisdom about the church. So he's ordered not to deceive himself about what the church is. It's a continuation of what we saw in the previous, chat, previous uh, paragraph, previous passage. The church, says Paul, is beautiful. That leads to my main point in this sermon. Christ shows us the beauty of the church. First, we'll see the wisdom in the church, verses 18 to 20. Second point, the humility in the church, verse 21. And lastly, the wealth of gifts in the church, verses 22 and 23. So the wisdom in the church, read this first set of verses again, first three verses. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So he starts off talking about the concern about wisdom in this age. If, if you see yourself, Mr. or Mrs. Corinthian Christian, If you see yourself as wise in this age, you're making a big mistake. This this phrase, wise in this age, is launching a comparison between this present age and how they view wisdom and God's kingdom and his coming future age and how God views wisdom. So the comparison is between wisdom and wisdom, between supposed wisdom and true wisdom. Whoever thought that he was wise... 
in the definition of Corinth, in the definition of the world around him, let that person turn his thinking inside out. From what he thinks was wisdom, let him, according to that scale, become a fool. But once you take that step, bring yourself over into an entire different realm, which would then label your very same new mindset as wise. The world will call it foolish, but it will actually be wisdom for the first time. That's what he's talking through here in verse 18. The message of Christ crucified. Foolishness by this age. However, actually, that's wisdom, to orient one's life around Christ and him crucified. In verse 19, he quoted here from Job 5:13 to say that God catches the wise of this world in questionable behavior. No one's smarter than God, so as crafty as a person would be, God will catch them in their thoughts being useless. What this world said was shrewd, God said was wrong and dark. What this world said was wise, God says is a waste of time. Then in verse 20, Paul furthermore quoted from Psalm 94, verse 11, to say that God knows the thoughts of the wise ones of this world, and their thoughts are nonsense, basically. In the same way, the believers in Corinth had fooled themselves into thinking they're doing the right thing by dividing the church and exalting human wisdom to support the contentions with others. In the pagan culture of their city, such behavior seemed reasonable. But Paul insisted the opposite, the wise by the standards of this world, were to become fools by the standard of this world in order to actually become wise as God sees it. It brings us to our second point then. We've seen the wisdom of the church. Now we look at the humility of the church. Verse 21a, just this one phrase, so let no one boast in men. The King James Bible puts it across this way. Let no one glory in men. Here Paul turns from the one individual person who supposed that he or she was wise now to address the whole church. Here Paul in verse 21 addressed all of them saying, let no one boast. What's this all about? The, the foolishness of pride crops up its head in boasting. That's the activity that you can use to detect it. And Paul is saying that for them to boast about, for example, a favorite person was wrong because God gave them more than just that one person. There's a wrong way to boast and a right way to boast. Did you know that? (laughs) He had said it, chapter 1, verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's good boasting. Boasting in the Lord, praising God. What a great God we have. That's not a God. We have a God. Our God's better than your God. Boasting in our God is a good and godly thing. We have everything that the Lord has. Let's boast about all the things that God has given us. Wise people boast about the Lord. But foolish people boast about part of what the Lord gave us. And this is actually very damaging. They want to select one person and boast about that person, but not the others. It's like we do in basketball. I I got two boys, and my boys will often say to me, this certain key player is really, really good. You should watch this player. And I always say to them, basketball is a team sport. There's five on the team, there's five on the court. You can watch that one player, but he has to pass the ball. Do the same thing in business. We elevate a certain computer programmer who was in the right place at the right time, and he was intelligent, so he struck it rich, and we give him all the credit for having programmed half the world. But there were other people involved. 
We do the same thing in the entertainment industry. Uh, someone sold a lot of songs or someone's been in a lot of movies. It took a lot of people to make that happen. It's more than just acknowledgement and recognition at the award ceremony. Make sure to, to check in with the little people. It's glorying in one person. Yeah, he's my guy. He's the highest scorer in the league. Yeah, she's my favorite actress. I've seen all her movies ten times. Yeah, she's my favorite entertainer. I love all of her songs. He's my favorite businessman. Do you know I got to shake the hand of the seventh most rich man in the world? You think if you met the famous chef from the Food Network that you would fail to tell us that next Sunday? We all chase... The favorite famous person, we're all glorying in people. It's an easy pitfall for us. What happens when that sort of boasting gets into the church? What Paul's writing to the church in Corinth is, this is not just some uh, humorous, mild problem that we really should correct. This is severely damaging. The believers were supposed to read this passage and see the seriousness of the divisions in the church that were being caused by picking favorites. It moves us to our third point. The wisdom of the church, we've seen the humility in the church, now we see the wealth of gifts in the church, verses 22 and 23. Let me read at the end of verse 21. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Now, I'm speaking tonight to a biblical audience. You're, you're well versed in scripture, and when you hear me read life or death or present or the future, you're thinking of another passage that Paul wrote, aren't you? Romans 8, 38, where Paul listed four of these same things. Death, life, things present, things to come. Over there in Romans 8, these four things were listed as potentially negative forces that threaten the separation of a believer from Christ's love. Ultimately, of course, where he goes with that in Romans 8, as you know, is that you cannot separate a believer from God's love because Christ makes sure that nothing in that list, including these four things, can separate the believer from the love of God. But here, here in 1 Corinthians 3.22, Paul likewise lists these four things. These four things get listed together with names. Interesting. Names Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and even the world. So all these things get thrown into one list here in verse 22 as things that are unable to defeat the Christian. All these are gifts from God. It includes the apostles and other ministers in Corinth. God gave these persons as gifts to enrich Christians, to assist Christians in Corinth. And therefore the ministers, along with these other four things, life, death, the present, and the future, are positive forces for good. They're gifts from God. The Christian can own them. We possess them in a way as gifts from God. You might think, how is death a gift? Well, let me just quickly remind you, life, of course, is live for God. Death is gain, as Paul says in Philippians. The present is for serving. The future, we get to go home and be with the Lord. So these are positive things, these four things that he lists here. We are richly blessed. Look at all the things we've been given, that could say the believer in Corinth. And Paul wrote at the very end of verse 22, all are yours. Everything in this list belongs to you. It's yours. It was a gift from God to you. All these things are gifts to the believers in Christ. Creation itself is a gift from us. 
The church is a gift from God to us. All these preachers in Corinth belong to the church in Corinth. Now, given that truth, given that reminder, why would they pick one favorite? Verse 23 caps it all off by saying, you are Christ's. You belong to Christ. And finally, Christ is God's. Christ left the glories of heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, received on the cross the penalty due for us as sinners, arose from the grave, all in submission to God the Father's plan to redeem us as helpless sinners. Christ is yours. But you are Christ's. To to pick one person, to pick, say, Paul, to pick, say, Apollos or Peter or another, as the believers in Corinth were doing, was to be deceived. Remember verse 18, let no one deceive himself. That's for a person to deceive himself to pick one out of the many gifts. Picking a favorite is what divided the church because that action was unavoidably and automatically taking them into a process of diminishing and reducing what God had given them. I'm going to try to illustrate this and I'm going to get really silly because that's how silly this thinking is. To say I'm of Paul or to say, I'm of Apollos, which is what he's been bringing up again and again in these three chapters, was to say, I'll take a portion of the riches that God gave me, that God gave us. I'll take a subset of all the things that God gave us. If you have an entire row of storage units that are just gifted to you, you say, oh, that's okay, I'll just take one of them. What are you doing? Take them all. What are you doing? Why would you diminish what you're getting? And it's more silly than that. Let me try to illustrate a couple different ways. The silliness of this line of thinking. And the danger of it. The destructive nature of it. If I were to say to my wife, my favorite thing about you is your left hand and with the wedding band on it, just my favorite thing about you, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off your left hand and take it to dinner with me. That's how silly it is, but it's also how damaging it is. You ruin the whole person by taking just the left hand, cutting it off, and taking it to dinner with you. Trying to pick a favorite to deny the rest of her is damaging to her and to her beauty. Just as God has put her together as she is, she must be left intact for me to love her properly. God has put the church together as she is, and she must be left intact. She's sacred. No believer must be allowed to be deceived about this. Again, let me try a different avenue of showing the silliness and the damage. Imagine your car, and you say, I'm of the door handle, so you rip the door handle off, and you just go walking down the street holding your door handle from your car. That makes no sense. It's just that silly. You've damaged your car. You're holding your door handle. You say, well, I'm of the steering wheel, and your, your friend comes over, and he rips the steering wheel out, and he's walking down the road carrying the steering wheel. This is, this is about how silly it is. We just don't see it that way. Paul's trying to get across to them how damaging it is, how silly it is. I'm of the hubcap, and so you rip the hubcap off, and off you go down the road. What? What ought we to say instead? If we're wise, we say, I'm of the whole car. God gave me the whole car. I get to drive the whole thing and everything attached to it down the road and get somewhere. You say, I'm, I'm a follower of the, the Reverend Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. You know that's silly? I only read his books. You know how silly that is? It's like having a salad bar with everything on it. 
and you say, I'm just going to have a giant bowl of radishes. Listen, I love radishes. Nothing against radishes. Please don't extrapolate certain things from my illustrations. I love radishes. But if you have a giant salad bar filled with everything and all you get is a bowl of radishes, you're silly. It's silly. You could have had a wonderful salad and throw some radishes on it. A lot of other vegetables. Also, don't tell Dr. Ferguson I said these things, right? I'm a reader of only Dr. Sinclair Ferguson's book. You could have had a library filled with all sorts of wonderful books from all sorts of different people. Why do you have to choose R.C. Sproul or Kevin DeYoung or Craig Troxell or John Piper? Wisdom says we already have them all because they were given by God to serve the whole church. It's only foolish thinking that boasts in one author, one pastor, and says, that's my guy, and my guy's better than your guy. And I'm constantly amazed at the loyalty to certain brands of vehicles in America. And I remember when I was a boy, and we had cars that we actually prayed that it would start. One of them we called the Green Missile, and appropriately so. Please let the Green, green Missile start today. We're just so glad that it started. We get to go somewhere. And all the cars I'm about to name, they start, they drive, they get you there and back home. But we complain. We say, you know, one man says, only Ford trucks for me. Chevys are junk. And if I asked for it, I could get an amen in this room. Another man says, no, no, only Mazda. And another man says, I would never purchase a Subaru. Why can't we just look at all the cars and say, we have our choice from all of them. All of them were given to us. And we get to choose one to drive. I think the ladies do better. You, you get a better idea when you share recipes on Pinterest. You just say, whatever recipe works and whatever recipe I have, I share with you and you share with me and we all share with my sister and my aunt and my cousin and my neighbor. There's no exclusive little group saying, I only make recipes from Betty Crocker. Oh, yeah? Well, I only make recipes from Taste of Home magazine. Well, the ladies are a little wiser because they say, I'm open to getting recipes from anywhere. All these recipes are given by God to us. All Christian books belong to us. All Christian pastors belong to us. We're the church of Jesus Christ. All the pastors belong to us. So I'm done with my silly illustrations. I trust you got the point, but now I have a quiz for you. Quiz yourself. Ask yourself, self, in my attitude toward authors, in my attitude towards pastors, am I spiritual or fleshly? Am I mature or babyish? Do I have the idea that all authors and teachers belong to us as Christians or must I pick my favorite? The message of God to us in these verses is that all things are designed to promote the interests of the church. God gave all of it to us to bless us. Redemption itself is for us. The very work of Christ on the cross is designed to promote the interest of the church. Paul could write in Romans 4.13, the promise to Abraham and to his offspring was that he would be heir of the world. The whole world is available for the church to use to build God's kingdom. Christ was sent by God the Father to become man and die and rise again to be our Redeemer. And as such, Christ the Messiah takes his position 
as chief shepherd of the church, and as Paul writes in verse 23, you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. What have we seen tonight? That Christ shows us the beauty of the church, the wisdom of the church, the humility in the church, the wealth of gifts in the church, all for God's people. So my conclusion is this. Remember that the beauty of the church is in all of Christ's gifts. The beauty of the church is in all of Christ's gifts. Many preachers in America today are building crowds, but they're not willing to pay the price to build a church. They're building crowds, but not willing to pay the price to build a church because our culture is performance-oriented. They'll come if it's a very interesting service. The crowds will come. And if he likes it, uh, people will worship the man up front a little bit while they're worshiping Christ or say that they are. And we know it's wrong. Paul points it out as wrong. That's not a church. That's a performance and it's a crowd. Building a crowd is good for him. It's good for the crowd. To get people to stop looking at the preacher, to look right through the preacher and see Christ. Always. Every time, instead of seeing the preacher, to see Christ and all of his gifts to the church, that's what it takes to build a church. Christ has given us all things. And as the church, Jesus gave his life to gain our salvation. He gave us the spirit of Christ. We just saw in the previous passage. He gave us the mind of Christ at the end of the previous chapter. He gave us the wisdom of Christ, the beauty of of the church, the wonder and amazing power and grace of Christ is seen in the people of God, the temple of God, the church, who have the spirit of Christ and they're worshiping him. The message is always Christ and him crucified. You ever seen those um, Chinese-style dolls? They're not made of of soft, fluffy stuff. They're, They're made of porcelain or something light. The tiny one goes inside of the slightly larger one and put it inside the slightly larger one, put the cap on, put, goes inside the really big one. They're all stacked up inside. It's an illustration of the wealth of the church gifts given by Christ. All are from God's hand as a gift contained within the body of, of Christ. And God is doing something in building his church. He's doing something today. In the world and in this country, God is on the move in the world. It's a discouraging generation. We say that often. It really is. But it's not hopeless. It's not despairing. God is on the move. He's building his church. He's taking unpromising building materials, like you and me. (laughs) Unpromising building materials. Sinners who struggle. Struggle to, so much struggle to get ourselves together, fight against the world's temptations and the devil. We struggle and we struggle and we struggle. We're a mess. God takes us as unpromising building materials and he forms out of us the beautiful church of Christ. The, the people of more and more filled with wisdom, the, the people more and more unified, the, the celebration of the gifts of one another all to the praise of God, reaching out to the ends of the earth with the same gospel news that brought us life. Read these words written by Paul in another place and I'll remind you of my main point here. And we'll be done. Romans 8, 16 and 17. Listen to what Paul wrote there. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, 
than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8, 16 and 17. So my main application takeaway is this. Remember, the beauty of the church is all of Christ's gifts. Let's pray. Father, make us thankful and ever mindful